Hey, this is Steve, and welcome back to another episode of Restless the Podcast. The last show that you heard was a rogue wave, and tonight we're going to have a typical episode. And we have a gentleman with us tonight, Bobby, who I think, you know, if you think about it, particularly us guys, it has the kind of life that he really struggled through. Death was around him, and it was tough growing up. So, Hey, if you've been there, we really encourage you to go ahead and listen through this entire show. Matter of fact, if you have a story that you would like to share with people, because everybody's story gives somebody hope, particularly when in it there's built this component of faith that has a a difficult ending sometimes, but one that gives people hope. And we would encourage you to get up with us at Restless the Podcast. And you go to our website, it's restlesspodcast.com. And there's a little section that says, tell your story. We would love you to pull that drop-down box, fill out some information, and we will get back with you. Keep in mind, your story is like a set of fingerprints. Nobody else has it, and that's what it makes unique. Luke, can you introduce Bobby tonight? He's got one of those incredible stories that, oh, everybody's story has been wonderful and powerful. But this may kind of tweak the heart of guys who have been in this situation. And it it can be at spots difficult to listen to. But in the end, I think you will get this sense of hope and uh, hang in there for this. So, Luke, tell us about Bobby. Hey, everyone. It's Luke. Welcome back. And uh, thanks for the pass off, Steve. So, uh, Bobby's story is a pretty cool one, and Bobby is a guy I actually know a little bit, and he's a pretty cool guy. Uh, Bobby really likes to build and drive race cars, and he's chasing that trophy with a whole lot of passion. But where Bobby's story begins is in childhood, being surrounded by a lot of death, including the deaths of those who were close to him and deaths of those he loved, which led him down a road of asking many questions about death, even pondering his own. And while feeling as if the question of wondering why he was still here prodded at him. Also, he often felt like an underdog. And so this will be Bobby's story of coming to deal with death at a young age, growing up with that on his mind, and trying to wrestle out an understanding of what that all meant, how to carry that baggage, and where it's leading him now. So welcome, Bobby. Thank you. Bobby, thanks for coming to Restless the Podcast tonight. We're uh, we're excited to hear your story, and just take it away. Well, thank you. Um, My pleasure for being here. Well, I'm from Carroll County. I'm 35. And I can't say I've had a bad life growing up as a child. I had everything I needed, and I was taught at a young age, you know, what you want and what you need are two totally different things. And, uh, you know, I, my childhood, there wasn't a whole lot of children living where I grew up. And I kind of took friendship to my neighbor, who was an elderly man, and he hung out with me. I helped him in the garden, you know, and uh, he, uh, he passed away when I was eight years old. And that kind of hit me pretty hard. He was like my best friend. Mm. And after that, you know, it kind of became rougher in life trying to find a friend. But uh, I'm doing good now. I have a lot of friends, you know, a lot of good family. And that kind of made my life, I wouldn't say rocky, but it had a whole lot of hills, you know, I had to climb and climb back up from the top and ride back down. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's not bad. And uh, I have a wife and a daughter now, and that really helps me understand life a lot better now and, and what I'm living for and watching her grow up, you know, makes my life a whole lot better. And me finding the Lord when I was 19, that, you know, definitely opened up my eyes. And, I I mean, I don't really know where to go from that point, but my life 
before 19 was very chaotic. And uh, I dealt with a lot of bullying, you know, in school because I don't, I have a speech impediment. And when I was younger, I had to have an operation and it didn't really go well. They kind of botched it, you know, through late 80s technology. And uh, I remember not being allowed to read to the younger kids, you know, growing up. And uh, that kind of made me stand offish from a lot of authoritative people, like teachers and whatnot. And uh, then I didn't really, you know, meet a lot of people because of that. But that made me very angry as a child. And then my uncle passed away, and uh, we were in third grade. And uh, they didn't, like, my family didn't even know I was gone from the funeral home. I had walked out just to get away from all of that, and they had no idea. And then that kind of made me think, you know, do I really, how how important am I? And uh, that added to the the baggage of uh, of what I had. And I'm, I'm not an only child. I have an uh, older sister, and then my dad was married previously, to, you know, from my mother and had two daughters in that marriage, and one of them passed away, unfortunately, back in 1989. And I got to meet her one time. But uh, my other, I guess, half-sister, I talked to her every now and then. But, um, you know, so I, I've had family, but I've, I've kind of been the, the black sheep of the family. I kind of did my own thing. Nobody really was into anything I did. And that, that made it really tough growing up because nobody kind of understood what I was doing. So, so Bob, tell us a little about that, uh, that childhood years. And you've mentioned some stuff about being at funerals. You walked out. And can you go into some more detail about what you're thinking? I mean, what you were feeling? Yeah, pretty pretty alone and not knowing how to feel. Like, do you cry? Do you, like, how do you handle, you know, a human being not being in your life anymore? Mm. And that was, that was very difficult for you then. Yeah. And the yep. looks of it, it still is. Yep. Yeah. So what kind of things did you do to cope with that? Well, growing up, I, uh, well, cars have been, you know, my passion my whole life. Working on cars, driving them, watching them on TV, reading, you know, books and all that. We would go to the library every week, and I would make my dad pick out a car book to read to me. And, you know, that's what I've done my whole life. And then between that and music, I really, that's what got me through life. I would put headphones on at the end, you know, while I would go to bed. Say, I would lay there and go through every radio station on my radio and listen to everything just to try to mellow out. You you had said being around death, you kind of uh, began to think about your own purpose, your, your, own, your own life. Why are you here? As a young man, that's a pretty big task to, to try and figure out. Yeah, I... Uh, as I got older, you know, elementary school people were always mean. And I had a couple friends in, in elementary school that I, I have now. And uh, middle school got pretty rough. That got real bad. Everybody was real awkward, you know, the whole puberty aspect of it. And then girls, you know, and all that. That was all happening around me, but nothing to me because I was, you know, the funny talking kid nobody really wanted to hang out with me or talk to me and uh i got a little bit older then high school came around and i thought it would be better being around more people and that was not true at all not true at all and uh why why was it not true at all it became more people to make fun of me than 
<laughs> what I had originally. Mm. And I uh, it got to the point where I, you know, I thought, you know what? Uh, it seemed pretty easy to to not be around and I would be better off. And I wasn't thinking my family would be better off without me being around. I would be better off not being around. And and how old were you then? I was 17. 17. Yeah. And I took a whole bottle of sleeping pills. I chugged a beer and I took a knife to my arm. And then I fell asleep and I thought, you know what? I won't wake up and I'll be good. But I woke up and I felt awful. And then... Had someone found you? No, I was in my room. And <clears throat> I woke up the next morning and, you know, I woke up not happy. In fact, I woke up and then I kind of realized, you know what? I'm I'm pretty damn tough. If I can't, this isn't going to kill me, you know, I'm not meant to die. And then I kind of, I wouldn't say rebelled after that, but I started taking more and more chances in life. Like I got a motorcycle, I started doing you know, demolition derby, started doing, started having a lot of fun and not really caring what people were going to do to me and kind of dealt with it. So let's, let's rewind a little bit. That's, that's, that's very powerful. And the fact that you got to a point where you felt like your only ticket in this thing is, is the, is out of here, out of life period. And, and that you would be better off. Where do you get to in your heart as a kid like that to where you reach that point? I mean, you were talking about uh, a speech impediment that you had that even some of the teachers wouldn't even let you read. You know, I'm not sure why, but um, and then kids started picking on you because of that. Or maybe you felt like you were an outsider. I mean, tell us a little bit about that, because there's a lot of a lot of. Guys like me and you and others that grew up kind of feeling some something like that. Yeah, it uh, it was tough growing up. I mean, I didn't know. I I mean, I I asked God all the time as a child, "Can you help me out? Can you please, you know, help me get through this? Help me get through that." You know, I wasn't, I wasn't dumb as a child, but mm -hmm. I wasn't, I guess, as educated as other children and you know, I could read okay and but some things, you know, were difficult and uh and that didn't help. Because, you know, not only am I funny talking, kinda of weird looking with puberty happening and then, you know, I'm not the intelligent kid. And uh it uh it, you get to a point where you don't know who to go to because I can't talk to my dad. You know, he's a tough guy. You, know, you can't cry, can't do nothing. You, know, you get cut, you know, it'll stop bleeding when you run out of blood and you just put the Band-Aid on it and go. And then I didn't really want to talk to my mother and I didn't really have anybody else to really talk to about it. I didn't want to talk to my friends about it because they would make fun of me or tell me I'm weird or I need help and, and you know, that, that, that wouldn't be fun. You know, I'd be afraid of losing a friend, and so loneliness was a big part of your life. Yeah, and I was very comfortable at being alone. Like I could go and lock myself in a room with nothing other than a radio, and be completely fine and not need anything. And that very that, that made it very hard for me to let people love me and for me to love other people mm. because I could, you know, I could walk away real quick and not care and not even think a minute about it, just walk away and, you know, be out of a life and not even worry about it. So locking yourself in your bedroom was kind of like a default setting. At least there, someone's not going to pick on you somewhere and no one's going to make fun of you. And it's a safe place, or at least it appeared that way, being yeah. alone. Yeah, yeah, and I, uh, that's why I like, you know, listening to the radio, 
the, the radio never judged me. You know, I could put mm -hmm. it on whatever. And that's why I loved working on cars because a car wouldn't make fun of me. A car wouldn't do anything I didn't make it do. And I could use everything in my brain and I could watch it evolve. And when you're behind the, oh, behind the wheel of a vehicle, you're not the funny talking kid. You're not the big haired, you know, hillbilly. You're just the driver of that car. And, you know, I really, that really meant a lot to me to, you know, to drive a car. It really made me feel good. Yeah, but let's talk about that moment when you decide to take those pills. You know, just lay down thinking you're not going to wake up, maybe hoping that you won't wake up, and you chased it down with some alcohol, and, and you also said you cut yourself. Yeah. I mean, yep. did, did any of this come to the attention of your parents at any point in time? No. Nope, no. I never told them anything. I, uh, you know, I had thought about it, you know, for a long time prior to doing it. And then I finally, you know, it clicked and, you know, I'm like, I'm going to do it. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of being who I am. And I went and I bought sleeping pills, you know, and, you know, they're calling beer in the refrigerator. It doesn't really matter. And uh, I grabbed a knife and walked up into my bedroom, and that's what I did. So you wake up the next morning. It didn't work out the way you wanted to. Thank goodness that it didn't. Thank, thanks to the Lord that it didn't happen that way because a lot of good stuff has, has happened in your life since in that regards to a, to a family. But talk a, a minute about the whole idea of self-image and self-worth and how powerful that is in, in either direction. People don't really realize what popularity mm -hmm. and, I guess, yeah, popularity would mean to a child or being recognized or being involved. They don't realize that growing up when you have a group of people that you fit in with and you're your clique, you're the popular group or you're the, you're the table they want to be at in the cafeteria. And when you're not part of that and you and you're never you're never good enough to be anything at that point in time. And that and that's really what's wrong with the world now. We don't children feel like they're not good enough and that's why we have a lot of children unfortunately committing suicide. And uh I'm glad I it didn't happen. I tried, but I'm glad it didn't happen. And now it's opened my eyes up and, you know, I'm trying to be a better father now to my daughter to hopefully that never happens. And uh that that you you almost have an emptiness because you don't think you're good enough or ever will be good enough. And I really don't even know how to explain it, but you never you always feel like you're not in the bubble. And I had a lot of friends that were popular. And even though they were popular, I would never be part of that group. I would never be invited. I would never be talked to. I would never be associated with them. Mm. And this sense of loneliness or uh, not fitting in, and I mean, this is still very real today. I mean, a, a lot of kids who have this sense of if I'm not a part of this, I'm not a part of that. If I don't have these things, I don't wear these shoes or I don't dress a certain way or uh, I need to look the look. I mean, they can really feel desperate. Does that sound right? Oh, yeah, you're you're dead on. And that and I I hate that. I I don't like the fact that people can't be involved or, or popular without having that shoe wear or that, you know, outfit or cool backpack or, I mean, I don't even know if they wear a backpack anymore, but they don't know what they're actually doing to the, the structure of that child mentally and emotionally by doing that to them. Because, it, you know, it, it's when you strike a, a board with a hammer, you leave a mark in that board and it'll never go away. It's deep embedded in the grain of that wood. 
And that's what we're doing to the world by having people act like that. So at this point, you're a void of purpose, meaning, and value. It's never been kind of shared with you. It's never been visualized for you in the relationship with another person. Did you have anybody that you kind of looked up to? Um, you know, only people on TV, like, well, it'd be race car drivers, you know, or Evil Knievel. I loved Evil Knievel. Mm. And, uh, you know, that, that, that was what I wanted in life. And I was told at a young age, you can't do that. You have to have a real job. You have to be responsible. You can't have, you know, fantasy dreams like that. And that made me want to do it more and more and more. But without help and loving support, it became harder to, to try being told no all the time. And, you know, not having any kind of backing didn't help at all. So I detect, Bobby, after the suicide attempt that now this different feeling comes over you. One of somehow I live through this, almost feel empowered by it, uh, somewhat invincible. I don't know if that's the right word. Um, and now maybe this aggression. Yeah, I, uh, I felt like I didn't need anybody at that point in time. It, it was almost a proven point where I can survive. I'm good. I don't need help. I, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it on my own. And if people want to help me, they can. If not, pack up and get out of the way. I got, I got a life to live, and I'm going to do it. Tell me what happens after that. You you start this journey of like, here's what I'm going to do, and you're not a part of it. Then get out of my way. I, I basically realized, you know. And you're, and what age are you by now? Uh, 17, still, 18. Yeah. Still in high school. Yeah, getting ready to graduate. And, you know, I got my first race car right before I graduated. And no help. I mean, I figured my dad might try to help me, but he complained about me taking up a room in the shed and all the other stuff, you know. And uh, so I kind of did it on my own. And believe it or not, you know, my father and mother showed up, you know, to my first race, which I didn't think they would. And, you know, they cheered me on. My dad videotaped it, which I didn't think he would. And he became kind of like a, like a silent backer in a way. He would give me a bunch of grief about doing it, about wasting my time doing it. But he would be there and encouraging me without me being around him. And he got caught encouraging me on videotape, but you know he he would never he would let me do my own thing, and just be there, you know, physically just to watch. And that meant a lot. And uh, but was he engaged the way a young man would want him to be? No, I don't think. But then again, he was always independent on his own from eight or nine years mm -hmm. old because he had a very rough life and I think that's how he figured I would be I'm a boy you go out if you want to do it do it you know I'm not gonna I'll give you the tool you go do the job and he figured if I'm 17 or 18 years old I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do I'm an adult and he's not gonna be able to really tell me no he's just gonna make sure I don't hurt myself to a point. Hmm. But you you went into racing, you, you had your own car, it was um, a way of by which something you could control um, and it wasn't going to do anything to you other than what you did. And um, But you had once told me that uh, you also took your aggressions out while driving. You had like incredible amount of tickets in a short period of time or running with the law and Things like that. Do you want to go there? Oh, yeah. Not a problem. <laughs> I, uh, you thought I forgot. Oh, no. I was going to bring it up. That that was a pretty bad point in my life, too. And what age are you? I am 19. And I've been active at the church. You know, my my neighbor down the street was a pastor at a church, and he took me. I went on my own. You know, my parents didn't go or anything like that. I went all, all on my own. 
and uh i i had a truck it was pretty hot and i you know like any guy you got to show off a little bit and i was doing a burnout and a cop came at me and i drove at him kind of played chicken and then you did that deliberately yeah i figured he'd turn around and i'd be okay but he followed me and that became a high speed you know pursuit and all that and Oh, I was getting locked up, and I, had, I was facing two and a half years in jail. Well, it was not looking good for me at all. And I got out. I had to make a phone call to have my parents come pick me up, and my dad wasn't going to come get me. My mother made him come pick me up. It was a fun car ride home. If you've ever been locked up, it's not fun. But, uh, you know, I go to work the next day, and my dad's still mad at me. And then... He, you know, my lawyer, I have to get a lawyer. And my lawyer's like, oh, we're going to play it like you're afraid of authority, you know. You, you freak out, and then we'll play that ticket, you know. And he's like, you need to go to therapy. And I'm like, okay, why? He's like, if you go to therapy, they'll think that it's real, and we'll get out of the ticket. And I'm like, okay. And then the therapist, it was a joke. My dad actually had to come in, and then... That brought up all, you know, old flames, you know, of, of aggression and anger. And then we got into it in the therapy, you know, yelling at him. And I yelled at the therapist, and then the therapist wound up quitting and kicking me out, and I never got to go back. My lawyer wasn't happy. But, uh, you know, I, I prayed. You know, I, I realized my court date was coming up, and I'm going to go to jail. Like, there's no way around it. I'm going to jail. And I remember, you know, laying in bed, praying and thinking about it. I'm like, what am I going to do? Like, I've never been in a situation that I needed help. And I asked him for help. I'm like, you need to help me. I'm like, I'm, I don't know what else to do. And I went to court, and the judge dropped everything but one reckless driving fine. And I walked out of there a free man. And I, you know, to this day, I can't, you know, thank the Lord enough for that. He helped me get my life back on track. That's, that's, uh, you hear that story a lot uh, in that desperate place of life. You reach out to, to God who maybe you've never reached out to before. You said you had started attending a church and, and why? I mean, and, why faith now? Why God now? I mean, really, had he ever been a part of anything before? No, and I've always been fascinated by the history of the Bible and Moses and the Ark and, and all that. It's all been very interesting to me. And he had always bugged me, hey, you know, why don't you come to church with me? Why don't you come to church with my family? And I'm like, okay. I did it, and I loved it. I felt welcomed. Nobody judged me. Nobody, you know, talked crap about me. It, I felt great. And then, you know, after going there for probably five months, and another pastor came up from North Carolina, and he talked to me. And we had, like, a, a normal little talk outside the church. And then the next day we went back. It was revival week. And I got a feeling in me, I'm like, man, you know, this is it. Like, I'm, I feel great. And I felt, I felt like that bubble that I was never in, I was able to get into. And that's when I asked the Lord, you know, please be a part of my life. I'm, I want you in my life right now. Mm. And I dropped down to my knees right there. And that's the day I was saved. Mm. So, what age were you? 19, 20, 21? I was 19. 19. And yep. finally, you got to a place to where you were a part of something that you felt welcome. People didn't judge you. But that didn't solve everything, though, did it? No. And when I asked the Lord to be you know, part of my life, I, a lot of things became different in the world. And not, you know, not like night and day when you wake up, everything's different. 
I realized, you know, talking to people, reading things, you know, naturally everything was changing. My thought process in life, my thought process on how I looking at people, talking to them, um, my morals, my my conscious, you know, my self conscious and really myself being being a different person. And then I realized how how judgmental the church really was and I didn't and it was after I realized you know, I'm looking at these people who they really are and I'm like, wow, they are not really doing what the Lord wants them to do. We're in the eyes of the church right now, not the eyes of the Lord. And that bothered me a great deal. And that's when I kind of quit going to that church because it became kind of like a, a hypocritical hypocrisy kind of kind of church. Mm. One thing in there, another thing out the door, you know, depending on what family you're in. And I, I didn't like that. And then I went to another church with, with a girl I was kind of dating. We were friends, you know, and uh, her brother had a cool car. I was trying to, mm. you know hang out with him and I went to another church and that was terrible and felt horrible for even being there then I just started trying to find groups of people who had like a youth group or anything like that and I've just been floating around and uh well I've always had my bible and I I've never known where to go Bobby, you say you you never really knew where to go, or at least at this point in juncture in your life, it you just didn't have a sense of direction when it came to church. But you also used this. You said this, but I still had my Bible. And what I see there is a guy who, from a sense of the institutional church, organized church, it that kind of wasn't working out for you. It didn't appeal to you in a sense of like this seems like it doesn't fit well, but. On a personal side of things, the very notion of God and a personal relationship with Jesus was still something that, that was important to you. I mean, how how were you working that out? Well, I, I knew I had the Lord with me everywhere I went, but I I didn't feel like the Lord the Lord felt welcome in the churches I would go to. And I didn't you know, it would make me feel unwelcome or uncomfortable and and I knew it would kind of jeopardize not really jeopardize my faith but it made me realize that I I need to be in a different area because I, I don't want to have my faith kind of you know torn away or or misguided or have me think differently or or anything of that nature so where do you go from there well, I, I found a, uh, a kind of like a biker dude that went to a church, him and a whole group of people who rode together. And I'm like, yeah, I ride, you know, I'll go. And then that kind of turned into a whole, you know, well, if you're going to the church, you know, you need to be part of this group. You need to do that. And it wasn't really an argument per se, but I, I kind of told him, no, that's not really how it works. You know, I'm here to celebrate the Lord and kind of gain knowledge on on the Lord and everything he's done. And they kind of, not really laughed at me, but they, I never went back, let's put it that way. And then I became kind of, uh, wouldn't call it rogue, but I was out on my own. And I kind of just kept my faith to myself. And if people wanted to talk about it, I would, but I didn't really bring it up a lot. And I kind of feel bad about that now, knowing people in the past, you know, maybe I should have talked to them about it, and and I never know what would have happened. And that that's kind of like a, not a guilt aspect of my life, but I think everybody feels that can or should they have done more in their life why they could. Hmm. How How was faith then changing you? It, uh... It made me enjoy people more. I I didn't I didn't really take life for 
what, yeah, I didn't take life for granted. And for say, people meant more to me than just somebody to call or just somebody to hang out with. I felt, you know, like I had family everywhere. And my mother's family, you know, I, I hung out with them a lot. My father's family, not really. And so it kind of gave me a, uh, like an extended family of, of people who would love me and I could love them and, you know, we could talk and all that. But but kind of to a limit, though, as long as they weren't telling you what to do. And, I mean, there was still some of that rebellious Bob in there who, who grew up and, you know, tried to take his life, uh, was going to figure I'm going to bowl through life here regardless of with people's help or without it. But, but there was still some of that there. I mean, right? I mean. To a point, I, between 17 and 20, was a very up and down, touch and go part of my life. And when I realized that people do care about me after, you know, finding the Lord and really trying to figure faith out, I realized that, you know, people do love me, but the Lord loves me and the Lord has a job for me to do. I don't know what the job is. I mean, I don't think anybody really knows what they're meant to do, but I wasn't going to, you know, ignore people like I was ignored hmm. growing up anymore. And I, I still had the mentality of doing things on my own because I wanted it done and I'm going to do it on my own. And it's never really gone away to a point. But, I mean, I encourage help. If people want to help me, I'm I'm happy. But if not, I'll do it anyway. And uh, I don't really, I mean, my faith has gotten stronger between you know, 17 and 20. As I got closer to 20, I knew more spiritually or, or you know, my faith, I knew more. And it made me feel more comfortable with who I was and why I came out like I did. I mean, was faith something for you? It was like, what else I got to lose here? Nothing else has worked out. I mean, at the end of the day, what else is left? I mean, is that what faith was to you, or was it something real? It, it was definitely real. Because growing up, you have rejection or you have acceptance. And when I had the Lord, well, I have the Lord, and, you know, I had faith, I was accepted. It was not a rejection. I had that. It wasn't going away. And I was part of that bubble. And that really made made me cherish, you know, life more after that. But you, you had said, too, that even visiting some of the churches, there was this sense of, I wouldn't call it rejection, but it just didn't feel right. Didn't, you didn't fit in there. I mean, how, how does that add up? Well, it wasn't really a fact of me not fitting in, but more of a a faith aspect of they're not re- doing what the Lord was asking of them in that building or church or however you want to call it. They they were more of a vanity and an appearance than the real Word of God. Hmm. And I could kind of tell, you know, before... I was saved before I really paid attention to anything. I wouldn't have thought anything about them. I would have walked in, and, yep, you know, they're going to do your little hoopla and walk out the door. But now growing up and becoming a man of faith, I kind of realized what was happening. And the Lord opened my eyes to the point where, hey, you know, you really need to check these people out because they might send you down a bad road. And, I, you know, you never know what's going to happen. And if you want to continue to be faithful and, you know, and, and God-loving, you, you might want to rethink that, you know, try to talk to people, try to help them. Because, you know, maybe I was sent there to try to help people. And I, I obviously I didn't, or maybe I did, I don't know. But uh, How were you, even in, in the church— you you kind of rebelled against authority. I mean, did some of that carry over, you think, in your involvement in some of those churches? No. 
I, I walked into them very open and not afraid for them to tell me anything. I, you know, I was trying to be told, you know, information and, and all that. I, I went there for authority in a way. And it just wasn't what I had expected to happen. Hmm. Tell us a little bit about, you were talking about some of your friends earlier that a uh, tragic event had occurred. Yeah, I was uh, growing up, well, you know, in my early 20s, we all had a friend named Tom. And, you know, he had a different lifestyle. And we were okay with it. We didn't care. We He was our true friend. You know, we loved him. He loved us, you know, and he would help us out of any kind of predicament. You know, we would do the same thing for him. He It was like having another family member. And he got in a lot of trouble. And in his own words, you know, that he had written down, he was so used to helping people. He didn't know how he could take being helped. He didn't know how to ask for help. And I feel really bad for him even thinking like that. And he took his own life. And I was on the phone with him when it happened. And I'll never forget, you know, the... You know, the sound that makes you know of the of the gun and everything that that was a wake up call too, and it had me thinking about how I almost took my own life and the impact it would have had on people not knowing you know because once you do it, you don't know the impact you'll have, and the impact he had doing that was astronomical i've I've never you know that that'll never go away hmm. So here's Bob through the course of life. We start out the show talking about how death was around you and 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 even in your journey with uh, coming to know faith, you see it again. You see it in someone you thought it would never happen. What are you thinking? Uh, who's next? Like, what, what is going to happen now? If it can just pop up and, and happen, you know, what, you know, what are we doing? And lo and behold, not long after that, uh, my friend Larry died as well. I found him in the bathroom. Well, his, his uh, nephew did, but I didn't believe him. I walked in there, and he, he had passed away. What happened to Larry? Um, honestly, I don't know. There's a lot of different, you know, stories going around about. You know, he he was an older older guy. He was in you know mid fifties, but mm. I I don't know. Um, he liked to drink, but uh, it's hard to tell what happened. Some people say he fell down, hit his head, and they took him there and laid him down in the bathroom, and he claimed he was okay, but never came out. And I'm not sure. I'll never probably ever know the truth. But so likely injury or complication related to drinking. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think he got a concussion, and they didn't know what to do. So they just kind of dropped him off and mm. thought he would wake up, but, you know, mm. didn't happen. And that was kind of rough, you know, walking in and your buddy, you know, they called you Junior all the time, you know, who's right there and dead. I mean, that's pretty horrific, Bob. I mean, for most people, those types of stresses with death, it's just a real major setback and and, and affects you as a person and your whole psyche. Uh, and yet, where does faith, where does a God who around you people are dropping either by their own hand or by whatever other cause, how is that impacting you? I mean, why continue on with faith? Well, I, I knew, you know, I still have a job to do. And... I know that when my time is up, I'll go. And, you know, the Lord the Lord will take people when it's time to go. Not, you know, self-inflicted, yeah, I mean, obviously, that's a different kind of scenario. But I, uh, I, I didn't ask God why. In a way, I kind of 
try to figure out on my own, you know, what had led up to it. And all I did was ask God for help on trying to get over it and you know, go about our day. And with with Tom going, you know, we had to clean all that up. Me and my friend, we had to go into that bedroom and, I mean, they removed the body, but the fact that he was, you know, a homosexual, we had to, they were going to charge an arm and a leg to, to clean that room. So we did it. I mean, we got rid of all the mattress. We got rid of all of it. And you kind of have to turn off your emotion when you do anything with that. And I guess being around death a lot, you, you are able to turn it off. And I was very heartbroken when Larry died. And I was heartbroken, you know, for a, a day. But then I kind of dialed it back a little bit and kind of dealt with it. But doesn't that stuff catch up with you sooner or later? Yeah. And I've had breakdowns, you know, and... You know, whether I be in the shower and all that, and because you, you're, you're not being a man, you're not really meant to cry. You're not meant to be weak, you know. And because you'll admit, growing up, the kid who cried in elementary school, people made fun of him. Kid who cried, and you, you make fun of people who cry. And if I'm not around anybody, I can do it. But I mean, I can do it now. But you know, I would you know, have a breakdown, you know, in my car, in my, in the shower or wherever. And then that is when I would talk to the Lord, not when the event would happen. More when I was, you know, mentally breaking down, then I would talk to the Lord and be like, hey, you know, help me out here. What what are you doing? Like, kind of show me where to go and how to handle everything. And he would. He would, you know, kind of pick me up and carry me, and we would go on. Do you think that's how God wants us to have a relationship with him, kind of like the fire hydrant relationship where you hook up to him when things aren't going so well? Or is it, I mean, what's your what's your thought on that? No, and we're all guilty of it. I'm very guilty of it. And you, whenever you need help, that's when you turn to the Lord. And I'm guilty of not turning to the Lord when I don't need help, when I just want to talk to him about, hey, how you doing? Feel pretty good today. You know, thank you for you know, letting me wake up. And I feel I've done that more now than ever. You know, the past probably five years, you know, I've talked to the Lord more on my own, not needing help, like not being in a I need help, you know, situation. Rather just pursuing it from thankfulness for that relationship. Yeah, yep. And I feel great doing it. And before, you know, you you feel kind of awkward. And now it's kind of a natural thing. Mm -hmm. Well, here's a guy finally uh, at some point Time gets down the road, has had some tumultuous times in his life, but ends up getting married. And tell us a little bit now about about faith, about adulthood, about family, about what's the wisdom that you bring to the table now that you can share with us? Um, well, we're not quite done with the whole death aspect of it. Boy, um boy, how how can you not be? Well, yeah, I know, right? Um, but no, I met, you know, my wife, and then, you know, I guess the, the correct term, we became pregnant, and uh, a guy that had been a father to me, really my whole life, you know, my best friend, we, we grew up together, and uh, I worked with him, you know, with, with the father. He uh, He killed himself, and before my daughter was born, he found out I was having a girl, and he was proud of me. He was like, I've never been able to have a girl. And uh, then he was going. Wait a minute. You know, 
Yeah, I can see the tears running down your eyes again. And, and it seems like you can't escape these things in life right now. I mean, how can someone in the right mind have some sense of hope about, God, if you even love me, why so much of this? If you're a God of life, why am I in the midst of death all the time? Help us think that through a little bit. Well, it uh, watching his family kind of deal with it, like you know, my best friend watching him deal with it, gave me hope that you know we'll all be okay. We'll we can get through it, and uh, your family and your faith are what can get you through anything. But did you ever think about God? What the heck's wrong with you? Why why is this happening? Why did you let these things happen? I, I've i never been able to figure that out. I've, you, I've never really asked that question. Were you angry with him? In a way, but I knew... I, 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 I kind of knew that it would be okay. I've never really asked him why everything. No. And maybe that's not the right question anyway, you know, and maybe it's more like yeah. what? You know, what am I to do now? Maybe we'll never know why and but it's your story and tell us what happens from there. Well, um yeah, my wife was pretty pregnant at that time and uh then we had our daughter and my life changed dramatically. Having a kid is out of control. I love it, and I never knew. I mean, I love my wife to death. I love my father. I love my mother. I love my whole family. But watching and holding your daughter, your own child, is a love that you can't even and can't describe. And at that point in time, I knew that's why I woke up that morning. That's that's why everything had happened for me to have that point. And, and that's been a great joy. Oh yeah, I I love it. I love every minute of it. That you that you lived so that she might live. Correct. Yep. I gave my life, gave another life, and I hope one day she'll give another life. And you know, we keep it going. And because if you if if you're not around, you can't. That's that's another life that can't help another life out. Yeah, and there was one day that you had a plan that you weren't going to be around. Yeah, and I'm glad it didn't work out. Mm-hmm. I've never been good at planning. Yeah. I'm kind of glad for that. <laughs> so from that point forward, Bobby, where does faith fit into you, to your life now? As you've gained wisdom... Uh, you're in your 30s. You've seen things that the most of us would never see in terms of death and those around you that were close. There are people sitting out there listening to this story and going, you've got to be kidding me, but in some respects maybe are going through a portion of or part of what you went through and they're going, what the... What am I to do? Where Where is the hope in any of this? I mean, let's be real about it. Where Where does hope come from when you see what you see, you've gone through what you've gone through? And yeah, we can go through the routine of saying, you know, God loves us, and if we just do this, it's all going to be okay. And, you know, is that BS? I mean, what's a practical, what do you say to somebody practically out there thinking these things? What do they do? Well, you, you can't. You know, like I've heard before, you can't check off anything. You have to, faith is real, the Lord is real, and when you let him in your heart, that is the hope you have every day, even when it's bad, you have it. That That is the eternal light that will never go away, even when you, you deal with death and financial problems or any kind of problem in life. It'll be dark. But if you have the Lord in you, you'll have a little bit of light 
that light will never go away. And that's the hope that keeps you going every day. And what does that hope look like to you? And what does it look like when you get up in the morning and you know what your past has been? Just give us a glimpse of that daily. What do we cling on to? Oh, love and the fact I get to watch my daughter Mm. grow up and my wife, you know, pursue her job and... You know, my my dog and my two cats, which I'm not happy about having a cat, but well, but, uh, <laughs> but I, uh, but you know, that, that is a great thing to have that, that hope, even people who don't have children, you know, that little glimmer of light is what am I going to be able to get into today? What am I going to be able to do today that I couldn't do yesterday or a day before? And what am I going to do tomorrow? Like, you, you have to look at it like that. Not, you know, holy crap, you know, you've been through all that. Why are you, why are you even happy? Hmm. And because that happened way back then, and I have to worry about today and tomorrow. Not, you know, 24 hours ago. Yeah, but that's easy said in some respects because you still carry with you those life experiences, those things that happen. It's not like we waved the magic wand and they went away. I mean, they're still back there in that memory. Yeah, they'll they'll never go away, but they're not, I mean, and they're painful, but that is like, a, you know, it's a knocking aboard. You'll never get rid of it. And that's in my life. I mean, <laughs> that's part of my story. And we all have them, and... We need to build off of them to be able to have a good life. So what today, what does faith look like to you? How do you, what's changed in your life? What are you doing these days to where every day faith is applied in a practical way? What are you doing? I I try to wake up without being angry about anything. And I try to hug my wife, hug my daughter. And try to have a positive attitude. Because with my faith, I know the Lord is out there, and He'll help me. And as long as I don't really, you know, get off the beaten path, He'll help keep me in line. And that's how I have to live my life. And and I know my wife will help me. My daughter will help me. Friends and family, you know, will help me without them even knowing it. Like the phone call to check in, the, you know, text message, hey, how you doing today? You know, heard you weren't feeling good, you know, get better. All that does help. And without faith, you wouldn't, I don't think you would have that. There was a time in your life that you would say loneliness was a partner. That there really wasn't anybody that you could identify with or feel like who had your back. Is that different today? Oh, yeah, definitely. I know I don't have a lot of help, you know, in certain things, but it's okay. I mean, the whole building a car, doing whatever like that, a lot of people aren't going to help me, but I'm I'm fine with that. But they do help me with life and with faith. Mm. You know, my new family that I got one, you know, I married my wife. That helped out a lot. And they've, they've helped continue my building of my relationship with the Lord and all that. Yeah. And you you started hanging out with a group of guys who, you know, they kind of uh, asked the, the raw questions. How's that been for you? Very good. I feel very, very welcome. And, uh... <clears throat> You know, and it's very real to me because they are very, they're very real, but uh, I can relate to a lot of it, like how they grew up and what they've been through. And that makes it very easy for me to not feel unwelcome. Mm. That's good. As we kind of 
bring this in for a landing tonight, Bobby. I, I want you to speak directly to someone, and I know that you've done this in some respects already, but I want you not to talk to Luke and I, but to someone on the other end of that microphone who might be that 19-year-old where you were some years ago who was just, I'm all in this alone, there's nothing for me. Speak to them. What's next? What do they do? What's Where's hope? For them, tell them about hope. You can't be afraid. You got to jump. You can't look back. You got to, got to move forward. And but you can't be afraid. You got to let it in. Can't hold back. Can't, can't lay down either. You got to, got to take it. And if the Lord is calling you, you can't tell him no. Because if you do, you might not get that call again. And your life will change for the better, even if you don't, you know, realize in a week or in a month, or even in a year, but your life will change and your life will be better. And I'm telling you, please jump, please do it. And if you don't, you'll regret it. And you're a man now who knows where value, meaning, and purpose comes from. Is that right? Very true. I know it took, it took me a long time and, uh, but I finally, you know, got it. It's not over. No, it, it will never be over. Not until the, the day I die. And you, doesn't mean you're going to have an easy path yet, right? No, life isn't meant to be a walk in the park. Hmm. You have to work at it your whole, you have to work at your life your whole life in order for it to mean, you know, anything at the end. Well, Luke, I don't know about you, but uh, this has been one of those stories that uh, these landmines of life showed up in the way of death and suicide that I can't say I've heard in any of the others to that degree. And and um, But Bobby has done a great job in articulating how, at the end of the day, it, our value, meaning, and purpose is in the Lord and really nowhere else. What's your closing thoughts? I just think, Bobby, I think you're a walking example of what's at the, the core of the message of the gospel, which is that the joy of life triumph, triumphs over the despair of death. Hmm. To that, Bobby, thank you for giving us the privilege of being in your presence tonight and hearing your story. It's, it's, it's inspiring. It's deep. It's a lot of things that just make us go back and take count of our stock of ourselves to be thankful and also, at the end of the day, trust in the one who made us. And to be especially grateful and blessed for, for, those, we, for those we love that are still here. Amen. Yep. Thank you for having me. Bobby, and thank you and, uh, and the folks at Restless, the podcast. Thank you very much for sharing your story and blessing others for it. Good night. Good night. Thank you for listening to episode 10 of Restless the Podcast, titled I Shouldn't Be Here, featuring Bobby. For we here at Restless the Podcast, our hearts are restless to find the one who said, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. For whom is your heart restless? And for tonight, for whom might you still be here? Yeah.